Real News. Honest and fun political talk weekly on the line 90.7 FM. So we'll start off talking about a few topics right now before we get into Jacob Wool because he's going to call in a few minutes. But let's start off with talking about the big uh, just transformation, the uh, independence that was uh, finally, you know, um, you know, just, just taken hold of last night at 11 p.m. in Britain. Britain finally left the European Union. Britain has achieved its independence from the EU and is now going to be transitioning to a new phase. Uh, this is probably one of the bis- biggest political changes of the modern, you know, um, modern Britain. I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think of anything else bigger that's happened, but this is a huge deal. Uh, there's a video of the flag being taken down from the European Union building, and it's a glorious sight for those who love Brexit, but a tearful sight for those who voted Remain. What do you guys think of this special occasion in British history? I don't like how you use the term transition for Britain. <laughs> you make it sound like it turned its sausage into a spatula, you know, and now <laughs> it's wearing a wig and it's going by the name of, like, Caitlin. <laughs> Call me Brexit. Yeah, no, but I mean, in general, I think that that's a good thing for England. I think it was stupid for them to ever enter into this union. Although, you know, they kind of changed the definition of that union several times throughout its history. It used to just be a monetary thing, and now, you know, they're building an army. So that kind of seems a little bit out of place for it. But, uh, yeah, good good on Britain. Yeah. You know, I think it's some... that's uh, good news for 2020 over here. Well, that's the thing that should be interesting to see how that has ripples effect here because we saw that kind of with Brexit. You know, they had a big vote and they voted to leave the European Union by a pretty healthy margin. And then you're seeing, uh, you saw Trump win in here. Now with the big conservative victory in Britain, it's be interesting to see how that ripples over to America. I mean, it's amazing. They voted for that. Four years ago. It took it four years to finally happen. All because you had a bunch of people in the British Parliament trying to stop it, the EU trying to stop it, Theresa May didn't want it to happen. And I mean, regardless of how you feel about Brexit, at the end of the day, people vote for it at one and it should happen. I mean, if you don't have that, you really don't have a democracy or a republic or anything. Your votes don't matter if that's the case. I mean, there are the same people that would probably complain about, like, hey, Trump's not my president if they were in America. So it's not really surprising. They just want to live in this la-la land where after something is done, they just pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, you know, they always just, do that. It, it just seems like, I don't know if it's liberals in general or, like, what's going on, but they've just been living in this, like, parallel dimension to what the real people of the world have been living in. It, it seems for the past, you know, four years... Probably before then, too. But, you know, they were the ones in charge back then, so I guess it was a little bit different. Yeah, I I, I feel like it's a... Uh, I feel like the EU is a sinking ship anyway. It's just like a whole... Uh, it's it's nothing but a huge financial mess. Um, you have a whole bunch of countries failing, and basically Germany's keeping them afloat. Um, I, why Why stay in something that really is taking advantage of you. Cause it's like, you know, are, what, what do they gain? Get, Britain's really not gaining anything by staying in the EU. So it's like, 
just just leave just leave yeah it's like you know if you have like a terrible girlfriend or something and then you know you're just kind of staying with her to stay with her and there was just like hey you know you're doing nothing to me you're not paying any rent you're you know eating all my food you don't even cook you know what's going on over here <laughs> back to back like to the, the girlfriend analogies again yeah, I mean, that just kind of seems like the whole, uh, bre- like, not Brexit, but just, like, the EU situation. Oh, it's yeah, I like agree. A, it's like a bad girlfriend. Yeah, and it's something that, like, you. I remember, I don't know if you guys saw my Facebook, but somebody we know said that, oh, a lot of young people didn't vote. This is going to screw over young people. And I'm like, well, first of all, young people just don't vote in general. Second of all, uh, young people vote for Jeremy Corbyn in Britain, and Jeremy Corbyn's an idiot and a socialist, in my opinion. And if you're, you know, your population is mostly adults, not young people, and that's how it works. Whoever gets the most votes wins, and hopefully it represents most interests that way, and it did. But I don't see how it screws over young people at all. Well, I, I mean, it, we're... we're 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 facing like even even in this country we're facing a battle with socialism. I mean I mean this the democratic like the democratic party here much like in Britain they're you know they're they're socialists. They're they're trying to breed socialism and they're trying to do it by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And we're not obviously we're not about that. Um I, I mean, we need, we need, we just need, it, this gives us hope. The whole, the whole Brexit thing gives us hope that we could just, we need to just keep fighting. Cause I, I thought for a while, I thought that England was a lost cause. Like I thought they were a lost cause. I thought that like, that this Brexit deal would never happen. Like I, I, I honestly thought it would never happen. I thought it, we, they would be, um, it would be stuck in limbo for decades mm-hmm. and, and maybe die off eventually. But no, I, I like today um, or this week has been a thrilling week for me. Like to see, I'm like, Oh wow. They actually did it. Like it, it gives me, it, it gives me some sort of like, um, I don't want to say hope. Cause that's like, optimism. I, I, yeah. Optimism. Yeah. Yeah, um, like especially with 2020 rolling around, and yeah, um, I, I, I think I'm hoping that good things are coming. I think what's also funny is that on the same day Brexit was happening, you had the Trump impeachment falling apart. The last nail was put into the coffin where Murkowski voted no on letting more witnesses in. So you had. To like, it would have been funny if they acquitted him on Friday too. Like that would have just been so glorious to have Brexit happen, Trump acquitted same day. It would, it was just you know beautiful if that would have happened. But oh well, it still happened anyway. But we had Brexit just you know won beautifully that night. They have officially left, and then that vote happened, and that even people on the left were already you know, realizing that, yeah, impeachment's over now. They're going to quit him now. They're going to move the vote uh, in the Senate to, you know, whether to acquit him or not. So he's going to be probably acquitted next week, is my guess. They're saying it's going to be like Tuesday or Wednesday. So Trump yeah. will be free from that finally. 
And now the Democrats are going to have an interesting position in 2020 because all these people that were crying for impeachment didn't get it. So how are they going to frame things now? That, to me, is what's going to be interesting. And we'll ask Jacob about that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, um, I mean, if the people that wanted it and the people that were pushing it probably have a constituent base that's probably dumb and wanted, like, we're, we're crying for it. Um, and so they're, they're probably just doing whatever, whatever they're doing. Um, and they're not going to be affected. Yeah. But I mean, but, but I do, I do, I am a little, um, curious to see some of these people that voted for, um, for this, uh, for the witnesses and for impeachment and all that, uh, in the districts that like Trump won in and wondering how that's going to play out. Cause this like, for Republicans, this is not very obviously. It's not very popular, and now you have to go back into your district. Like, um, well, I think it's going like, to anger some of these people because they're like, okay, you spent all this time, all this money on impeachment, and what did you do? What's been accomplished? And they're going to probably say, oh, we passed the USMCA trade deal. And it's like. I don't know how well they're going to be able to sell that because that was Trump's trade deal. They made some tweaks yeah. to it and made and act like they improved it. And I don't think people are going to buy that. I don't think they're going to go, oh, yeah, the Democrats, uh -huh. they, they passed that trade deal, though, guys. Uh -huh. I mean, it was clearly a political move because they've been holding it up in the House for a long time. They could have voted on it a long time ago, but they held it up for this, which means they're probably playing impeachment for the while. And they wanted to either take Trump's uh, you know, weapon and use it against them, basically, or they were trying to, um, you know, make it their own, you know, cover up for the impeachment if it goes bust, which it did. So they're in a bad spot. And I think 2020 is now going to be down to Biden, Bernie and Pocahontas. I think those are the only three players that are seriously left in the field. And I'm, I'm not. I refuse to count out Mike Bloomberg. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, I forgot Bloomberg. But I refuse to count him out. Well, you need to see. We'll talk about this a little bit later. Maybe uh -huh. we can talk about it now. He has released two of the cringiest political videos I think I've ever seen. Uh-huh. We can play one of them, I think, now. One of them's a political ad, so I'm not sure we can play it. But the one in the political ad. Well, first there's this video of him. He sees a dog, and instead of petting it, he literally like shakes its jaw. Like he grabs the dog, like and wraps his hand around like its face and starts like shaking it. I'm like, he's he's freaking abusing that dog. Who does that? What normal human does that? And then he released Yeah. I could see Biden doing something like that. Like he puts fingers in that girl's mouth, like stuff like that. I was gonna well that's that's I would say a dog is a wrong species right. for him. But no, no Biden Biden would go behind the dog and smell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey, smells, but. <laughs> yeah, so you had that, and then, then Bloomberg releases this ad. And I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is real. You can see it on his Twitter. Of a bunch of dogs saying, I like Mike Bloomberg. I'm voting for Mike Bloomberg. And it's all these dogs. And I'm like, wait, 
does, does he think dogs can vote for him now? Does he think he has the dog vote? And at the end well, of it, there's a dog that goes, I'm Mike Bloomberg's dog, and I approve this message. And well, that shows know, I wouldn't count it out of, like, the Democrats to, like, register dogs to vote. Yeah. You know, they're already yeah. dead people. So. They're already, yeah, they're already, they're, they're already uh, you know, letting dead people and illegal immigrants vote. So, I mean, pet, why not pets, right? Yeah, throw them in there. And, yeah. and then he releases um, this video, and it's literally him um, saying he, he has a he has a thing of uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, it's just it's it's absolutely cringe. I, I don't even know what it was if it was an ad or an endorsement or what it was, but I'll play it for our audience because it's. It's something to behold. It's 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 actually real. It's on his Twitter. You can still check it out. Still hasn't been taken down. So here is what Mike Bloomberg thinks is going Where's to my- win him the 2020 election. Where's my ice cream? Ah, thank you. Hmm. Big gay ice cream is the best. Uh, what was that? <laughs> what, what is the point of that? Like, oh, big gay ice cream. What? What is that? I don't know. I don't know. This is uh, maybe this he's is trying real. to be a meme. Like honestly, maybe that's how he thinks. Like, oh, you know, these millennials they like memes. You know, let's be like millennials. Yeah, I'm gonna so be hip with the like, kids. Worthy content. It was like, he's so, so bad. out of touch with what he thinks people wants. Like, I don't know. Like, do you see what's going on with him and the super delegates now? What's that? Like, apparently they're undoing the stuff they said that they would do at, uh, like, when Bernie's, like, lost last time. Uh-huh. And now they're allowing, like, superdelegates to vote on the first try. Like, the DNC's trying to get past that. Uh, Even Pelosi Gabbard was, like, tweeting about that. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. They're already trying to rig it against Bernie. And I'm telling you, Mike Bloomberg is trying to be a forced meme, and it's just a failure. You don't yeah. go around, like, in any political ad saying what he just said like it just makes you look goofy and silly and that's nothing against gay people or anything like that but just saying that makes you sound goofy like i like a uh, big gay ice cream is the best like it just sounds goofy i mean trump it, is gonna eat him alive if he somehow gets a nomination like just a stupid yeah. dog thing like the big gay ice cream you know there he's gonna eat him alive and there's nothing he's really gonna be able to do against it because he literally is the democrat version of trump so, without further ado, our guest tonight is a conservative writer, speaker, and political operative. He's also a journalist who has been banned from Twitter and is a self-proclaimed, and I'm quoting this, number one MAGA e-thought, Jacob Wool. Welcome to the show. Well, hey there. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, I started looking into you back in like 2016 when the election was going on with Trump and all these things. And I noticed that you were originally a very, very young um, hedge fund guy. You were actually the youngest guy to start a hedge fund. And I'm just curious, how did you go from being the youngest guy to start a hedge fund to now involved with politics and calling yourself the number one MAGA ethos? What what happened along the way? Well, what happened was uh, actually kind of interesting. Vice came out, uh, Vice Media came out to do a documentary about my hedge fund. They came to my compound uh, in the Hollywood Hills to sort of film this documentary. And of course it was, 
around election season. So among other things, they asked me, who did I think would win the election? And I said, Trump's going to win. And I had posted at the time a map, uh, you know, on my Instagram and, and elsewhere. Um, that was sort of my, my prediction, uh, state by state. And it was almost exactly correct down to the point. Now, they had intended that they were going to sort of make fun of me. Uh, but there were some delays in their production. They didn't end up getting the documentary out until after the election. And, of course, they had to eat their words. They came back out and filmed some more. But really, my predicting Trump's victory uh, and supporting it very early on, uh, I, you know, I was a regular. People forget this. I was a regular on CNN and HLN uh, in the early days uh, of the 2016 election. Uh, and I was the millennial Trump supporter, one of the earliest Trump supporters. And so, you know, being sort of on record with all this stuff and then ending up being correct and what people viewed as a long shot was how I uh, sort of launched from finance straight into politics more quickly than I ever could have imagined. Yeah, that's very interesting because I saw that, too, that when you posted the map, of the election, like you were like almost dead on. It was probably the most accurate predictions of the whole election. So with that said, though, and that's very impressive. Where I mean, obviously, it's a little early right now, but where do you see 2020 going? Like, what's your prediction so far with that? Well, I think 2020 is going to be close. I, you know, a lot of Trump supporters have a perception that this is going to be some kind of a landslide. And I don't see that in the cards. For one thing, and I think this is the biggest sub story subplot that nobody's talking about, is you have this situation where many of these swing states, Trump won by slim margins in various precincts. And many of the people that voted for Trump in that election have died. They've passed away uh, since then. Um, how many? Well, we don't know exactly, but the number ranges into the tens of thousands. They, they're older folks and they've died of natural causes over the years. Um, that's going to be the sub story that I think defines the election is whether or not young voters coming out can over can, can sort of uh, overwhelm uh, Trump in these swing states. Um, and that's that question is yet to be answered. I think Trump will win because all of the factors that we do know point to that. Um, but there are some some X factors that could that could swing the election the other way. Mm -hmm. Phil, hey, uh, yeah. Um, so, Jacob, who, who do you think? Uh, who do you think the Democratic nominee will be? Well, I think as things are set up right now, um, all all things being equal, Biden's going to be crowned. Uh, I think you know he could probably run the tables in. Uh, in various states, especially as we get into some of these southern states, he's going to pick up delegates like there's no tomorrow. Uh, Bloomberg will be interesting. He will throw delegates to Biden, I'm sure. Uh, if Bloomberg wins as many, you know, all he needs is 10 percent of the delegates. And then Mike Bloomberg decides who the nominee is at a broker convention. And that's how it works. Um, so he could he could play. He could sure be a kingmaker. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, we're certainly getting down to the wire here, but if the Democrats really wanted to win, uh, they would get Hillary Clinton up off the couch and they'd run her again and they'd rig elections and do whatever they needed to do to uh, get her the nomination if they wanted to win. Uh, because Hillary's already shown that she can win the popular vote uh, and basically she could run on a platform of and she's already made comments to this effect. I won already and I'll beat him again. This time the Russians won't rig it. You know, so, so that'll be her, her pitch. 
and it could probably uh, do as well as anything else in the election. So uh, Biden's set to be crowned. You have these sort of X factors uh, that, that could change things. But uh, all other things being equal, Biden's going to outperform and, and be the nominee. Hmm. So uh, kind of pivoting off of uh, the U.S. elections, what are your thoughts on uh, Brexit? You know, yesterday they finally left the EU. Do you think like other countries might go and follow suit? Well, you know, for, it's, it's very interesting that the hope of the bureaucratic class in England was that they could sort of just bore people out of Brexit and never actually Brexit. And it took them a handful of elections, not just one, uh, to finally get Brexit done. Uh, now, to that point, Brexit isn't truly done. I mean, there's been some symbolic movings of flags and saying we're no longer a member, this, that and the other. Uh, but it remains unclear whether Britain's going to keep paying these massive uh, fees, I don't know what else to call them, to the EU. Um, in the best deal scenario before, they were set to pay $30 billion, uh, a year uh, to, to the EU. They pay these massive fees, and all indications are they're still going to pay these fees. So I don't know that Brexit really is done. Um, and, and I think that this this could be a symbolic victory that, that – uh, doesn't actually bear out in in uh, real terms, but but we'll have to see. It is good that they finally done it. I think there are other countries where you have nationalist movements rising up, uh, like Italy uh, and, and uh, Austria. Certainly, are, are places where you see this. So I, I hope that we continue to see this. I, I don't think that these multilateral, multinational. Uh, bureaucratic, technocratic, managerial bodies work very well for anybody, besides the bureaucrats, of course, uh, who get $3 a day per diems to eat at the best restaurants, chauffeurs, and uh, massive salaries. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So do you think that Britain's kind of already so far gone, even with Brexit, they're really not going to be do it, like changing much in terms of like their culture and like deep down? Yes, I do. I mean, Britain is finished from a demographic standpoint. The most popular baby name in Britain now is Mohammed, and there's no indication that any of that is changing. Uh, from a cultural standpoint, the British society, um, the traditional British society, that is, is impotent and uh, passive. And the uh, new society of Britain, the, the, the new... Uh, rather Islamic society, if you will, uh, is aggressive, they're bold, they're unafraid, they're unabashed. And uh, these, the, this, these are the, the people that are going to decide the future of Britain. And Britain remains a place where, uh, God forbid, a person like Tommy Robinson reports on, you know, mm. violent Muslim rape gangs, uh, he'll get thrown in jail. So th these are the I think I think Britain is not a place where you know, people should should take a consolation prize and move back there. It's it's a disaster. Okay. okay. Uh, hey, uh, so Trump. Uh, this last uh, recently, uh, Trump unveiled the uh, vision for peace for the Middle East. What do you, what do you think about the plan? Do you think it actually stands a chance, or or will be adopted, or like what do you what do you see with that? Well, uh, the short answer is no. Uh, I, I have long wondered why we waste any time on these peace plans. It's something that every president does. It's 
I guess they assume obligatory. Every president wants to do it. I think that the sort of light at the end of the tunnel, the what if we did get it done, uh, sort of blinds them. It's it's blinding because they think it would be so great and so historical and so great for their legacy. Uh, but the reality is that the Palestinian population on one side of Israel in the West Bank chose Mahmoud Abbas as their leader, as their president. He's one of the architects of the 1972 Munich Olympics massacre. Uh, that's who they choose as as their leader, a terrorist kingpin. If you go to the other side of the country uh, and you go to the Gaza Strip, you have a society that chooses Hamas as their leadership. Uh, and we don't even need to get into um, their accolades in, in the terror world. So. On its face, I think negotiating with people that make those sorts of uh, choices of leadership is a futile task. It's a task that has a very low probability of success. It has no probability of success. And sure enough, we've seen that. The, the peace deal was announced, and immediately Palestinians started launching rockets, protesting violently in the streets. This is what happens. And so what I'd like to see is, is the U.S. just stop wasting our time and money on on these types of uh, deals because they're, they're, they're not deals. They're pieces of paper. And, uh, I just don't, I don't see any uh, future in them. Hmm. Well, uh, interesting. Um, uh, what do what do you do think? Cause I, I guess Netanyahu's under investigation, I guess for some, uh, for some sort of corruption type thing. What, 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 what do you think of that? Well, it's interesting. Israel has a, history of investigating and, in fact, in indicting their leaders. Uh, Netanyahu's not the first one to be uh, criminally investigated or even the first one to be charged. Uh, one of their presidents did time in prison. This is a, this is a pattern in Israel. Uh, it's a pattern that I think we're seeing coming here to the United States. Um, and it's a disturbing one. And, I, you know, I think it's tough in these parliamentary countries because you, you don't have the kinds of longstanding norms that we have in the U.S., like uh, like executive privilege, like uh, uh, Article Two powers. Um, you just don't have these these setups over there. Uh, so I, I think Netanyahu will stick it out. It's a matter of putting together a parliamentary uh, coalition, and at some point or another, he will. He will or he won't. In either event, I don't think he's going to do any time in jail, and I think that that's a a real political witch hunt. Last question I'll ask about Israel because I see on the right sort of a uh, new sort of division forming up where you have some people on the right that are pro-Israel, a lot of the evangelicals, a lot of the more religious people. But then you see people on the right like the Groypers that are very anti-Israel. Do you think the right's going to stay pro-Israel or do you think you know the attitude's going to change at all? Well, I think broadly speaking, the right's going to stay pro-Israel. Uh, if you just look at different groups, I mean, even among young people, you have Turning Points USA conferences that have 10,000 kids show up from around the country. You have New Right type conferences that, you know, are very anti-Israel. That's, in fact, probably the main bent of their uh, of their gatherings. And uh, they have a few dozen people show up, maybe 100 people. Uh, and so, broadly speaking, even young people are still kind of... Uh, uh, in the same generation as kind of older evangelicals, uh, in the same belief system, that is, 
in terms of Israel. So I think, we're, broadly speaking, we're going to see continued support for Israel and this new kind of anti-Israel movement that certainly makes a lot of noise. Uh, I think people see it for what it is. It's animated by Jew hatred, and mm. uh, it's not something that uh, that's going to catch on. Yeah, I agree. I think the right's going to stay pr- pretty pro-Israel, especially with a Christian base at the hold of it. And to pivot over to more of the stuff that you've done in the past that people have uh, heard your name from because you've held press conferences about Kamala Harris, Pocahontas, uh, I think even Robert Mueller you had some stuff on. And people would say that you're spreading fake news. The I think even the Twitter, like one of the higher-ups at Twitter on Joe Rogan said that you're like acting like a Russian meddling in our elections. What do you say to all these accusations that keep getting thrown around, like that everybody's a Russian bot or a Russian meddler? Yeah. And, since then, you've been banned from Twitter. So what do you think about the big tech censorship then? Well, first of all, I do meddle in American elections. <laughs> and I'm an American, and, and as such, I'm allowed to do so. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't see the problem with meddling in our elections. The CEO of Twitter does. Uh, certainly, I take the fight right to the left. And I, and I do so in a way that I think a lot of people uh, have in the past. Unfortunately, some of these people either aren't alive any longer in the case of people like Lee Atwater uh, or they're in a kind of retired state. If you talk about people like Karl Rove or they are you know, the subject of witch hunts and set to be sentenced this week uh, in the case of Roger Stone. So somebody's got to take the mantle. Somebody has to bring the fight to the left and be afraid to uh, not hold anything back be prepared to deal in the world of rumor and online uh, rumor at that. And certainly I'm happy to do so. And and people have seen that over time. Other than yourself, of course, who would you say are the best fighters in the right right now? Well, of course, I'd have to give a nod to my my sort of uh, partner in all of this, uh, Jack Berkman. But otherwise, you've got a lot of great people. You've got people like Laura Loomer, who's now running for Congress. But mm-hmm. she has she's just been an absolute bulldog uh, for the last number of years. Uh, you have people like Mike Cernovich, who uh, has been taking a sort of a hiatus, uh, but I'm sure is going to be a huge uh, player in the 2020 election. Uh, and, and really, so, so many others. I think of Ali Alexander, for instance, yeah. uh, and the work that he did to defrock Kamala Harris um, by pointing out rightfully that she's not she's not an American black in the sense that American blacks define their identity and uh, really took 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 care of her. Um, So there's a lot of great people out there, but but that's that's just to name a few. So like sort of um, sort of kind of pivoting, you know, back you mentioned Kamala Harris and, you know, just Democrats in general. What do you think was the whole reason for this big push for impeachment? Do you think it was largely the result of um, them just having terrible candidates out there? Because I can't see, like, the only real one that I see that has any sort of potential, you know, would have been Tulsi Gabbard. And I think she's pretty much dead in the water right now. Yeah, she was she was dead in the water um, from from the start. She was never going to have um, any any chance of gaining uh, any any broad support. And she didn't help herself by getting on the stage at these debates and being completely boring, completely scripted, uh, unwilling to go on the attack in most cases. And so she didn't really help her, herself either. Um, but but uh, 
you know when you talk when you talk about the impeachment push, uh, it was terribly unwise in an election year to run an impeachment. The losses that Democrats are going to suffer politically have already been told and can only get worse. This is a result of Nancy Pelosi not being able to hold down her party, uh, not being able to hold together the caucus. Nancy Pelosi is up there in age. She's drugged up. She uses all kinds of drugs. Um, she's just not the, she's not the same person she used to be. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is go back. You know, go back and watch her talking about impeachment of George Bush in 2006 on 60 Minutes. Different person, just a different person, completely. Um, that was when she first first became speaker and, and was kind of new and exciting. And now she's now she's uh, washed up. But she couldn't hold down the caucus. You had your AOCs, your Rashida Tlaibs, these uh, extremists who were going to push for impeachment, and and they did. And she couldn't she couldn't hold it together. And uh, as such, they're going to suffer losses. So last question for me. Now, I know you're originally like a big name from economics and whatnot. Now, what are your thoughts on uh, like ETFs? Like I keep seeing these articles about them saying that like there's going to be a big uh, sort of crash with ETFs because people aren't going to be paying attention to the smaller stocks. Do you think that's going to happen? And, you know, if you have any sort of predictions for the economy as a whole? Well, ETFs are a lower fee way to track indexes. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. And at the end of the day, if you're picking between ETFs and mutual funds, as most people are, that's really what what they're talking about doing. They're, you know, it's not a debate between uh, should I be a three stock portfolio stock picker competing with David Tepper or should I buy ETFs? No, nobody's asking that question. If you're really going to be a stock picker and an active trader, then you're going to do that anyway. Uh, and maybe you'll supplement with ETFs here and there. But the debate for most people is whether ETFs or mutual funds are, are a better option. And uh, mutual funds can be a better option. This is this is what people have kind of left out of the conversation. Um, and when you talk about something like healthcare, the ETF is what it is. It's going to track a set of stocks. Uh, but there may be a mutual fund out there, and you'd have to look at the pro formas and look at the performance and make sure that what you're looking at is after cost uh performance and there are cases where in particular instances uh maybe it's growth maybe it's international maybe whatever category whatever genre we're talking about mutual funds have in fact in some cases outperformed their respective competitors in the etf world uh, so i'd encourage people to keep an open mind and just look and and of course past performance is no no guarantee or or even indicator of future performance so take it with a grain of salt but uh, there are many, many a case where people that have been in mutual funds have, in fact, done better than their friend next door who was in ETFs. So I'm not dogmatic about it. Um, there, there are there are instances where, where one is better. And of course, people have this this discussion about market liquidity and are you know, ETF setting up systemic risk and all of these things. Uh, it's quite possible that they are. Thankfully, these days we have very good, you know, people can debate on a on a intellectual level and a political level and a philosophical level whether you should have these or not but there are very effective circuit breakers in the market right now um if some news headline were to run through ap by accident you know or it got hacked and and the news headline said that china actually has 125 million with wuhan fever let's say um 
that would cause the market to dive. The good news is that trading would stop after it was down. Uh, in some some instances, it's nine percent, and others it's eight. It depends whether you're talking about futures or equities or different markets. But the circuit breakers work, and they will give uh, markets a chance to cool off. And I think eliminate a lot of this concern that well, there's these big ETFs, and it's like trying to turn around a ship, and they won't be able to keep up with, with liquidity. I'm not so worried about that. Uh, I think I think that risk is is overplayed. Well, you see a lot of Democrats a few months ago talking about that there's going to be this big recession with Trump's second term, all this stuff. Do you think there's actually going to be a recession coming soon or if there's going to be a student loan debt recession of sorts? Well, I think what you're looking at is basically over the next five years, and I know I'm probably not the only person to say this, but you have something like a 20 percent chance of recession each year. Uh, And it doesn't roll over. Uh, So because it doesn't happen one year doesn't necessarily make it more likely the next. Mm -hmm. Um, But but you do have this sort of embedded risk of recession and nobody can quite tell you when the right time to get off the train is. If somebody knew, uh, well, they they would be the, the genius that the market's never seen, but no one does. So you don't have a crystal ball, but you have something like an 11 percent or rather a 20 percent chance each year. The other thing that you have is is you have a situation where uh, Trump has, I think, bullied the Fed into running insane monetary policy, talking about, you know, the the Fed now versus what people might consider to be um, reasonable. And they kind of have to because the rest of the world is 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 doing that as well. Uh, but, you know, th- this this is this is something that could cause the market to not go down. You, you could have a situation where the Fed says, OK, well, we'd just rather go to negative rates than have a double digit um, type recession. That, that could happen. Uh, so we, we don't really know. And, and it's it's a whole new universe with with these kind of rates mm-hmm. around the world. It's a whole different world. Yeah. So last thing I'll ask, because we always ask this of all our guests, is as we roll into 2020, where can people find you to keep up on your meddling operations, your bodybuilding goals, whatever you have planned? Where can people find you? Well, the best place is my Instagram, at Jacob A. Wool, uh, J-A-C-O-B-A-W-O-H-L. Uh, it won't pop up if you search it because I'm shadow banned on there. And you can find all the links to my website and everything else there. Uh, but that's the best place uh, for people to find me. Instagram at Jacob A. Wool. And you also have a Telegram channel, correct? That's right. Uh, te- Telegram, it's uh, t.me, uh, letter t.me, slash Jacob A. Wall. Fantastic. Thank you, Jacob, for coming on. We loved it. You were very insightful and brought a really new, interesting, cool perspective to our show. So really appreciate you taking the time to come on and hope you have a nice day. You bet. Thanks, guys. Uh, Keep up the great work. Thank you. You too. Take care. Take care. There we go. Woo. So what did you think of that? It was interesting. I, I like to go and talk to you know different people, especially the economics sort of thing. I, I found that particularly interesting. Yeah, he knows a lot. He's a really smart dude. And you hear him talk about economics. Like he he knows a lot. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I I, I always like uh, people from 
I, I like having guests on the show. I like having the, like, especially like if they know what they're talking about, even if you don't agree with everything that they're saying, like, even like you can, you can understand their perspective and you could certainly, you know, appreciate the work that they do behind whatever they believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can certainly respect that. Um, yeah, he was a good guest. I, I really liked it. Yeah. I've, Always been interested in Jacob, and then when I saw Milo doing stuff with him and Cernovich, I know as mentioned before, so I thought, oh, this is an interesting guy. I better check him out. And lucky to have him on the show, so that was really cool. Is there anything you guys want to dive into next? Um, I uh, can't really think of uh, too much. I got a new vaporizer today. <laughs> cool. Oh, <there> you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like the weirdest one I've ever seen. It's like a survival like vaporizer. Survival. Yeah, it's got like a compass in there. It's got a flashlight. Like, I don't know. It's the strangest one that I've ever bought. So it's like the Swiss Army knives, knives of like vapes. It's a Swiss Army vape. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if I ever go trekking in the woods, you know, bring this and I guess. Yeah, they should start putting that on jewels because like all the... The, the the girls I see on campus and the guys that have their jewels, like they don't, they don't want to lose those things. And when they do, they like cry. So... You put a compass on there. You put maybe a GPS tracker. I don't know. You put anything on there, and you know that will stay on their body, other than their well, cell phone. A, well, here's the thing with like jewels. Like, I, I don't get why people like those ones so much. Because honestly, you're paying so much money for the stupid cartridges. How it much are they? I don't know. It's like you pay by the cartridge. It's I don't know. I heard they're pretty expensive. Like I just go and like. You know, I got to buy the vape juice and I can go and like mix my own flavors. I know where it's coming from and it's, you know, pretty cost effective for that. Like, you know, I might spend like 20 bucks a month or something and mm-hmm. I and I hit it pretty, pretty often, you know, versus a jewel you're paying like, I, I think it's like 10 or I have to go and look up the prices, but like the actual packs of those, you know, they're, they can get up there. That's how they make their money. Yeah. You know, the actual machine itself, it's, it's almost like the, iP- the iPod touch of... Um, <laughs> of jewels. Yeah, like the iPod of uh, vaporizers. Yeah. You can know, like, see, like, it, it gets... Like, it, I don't know why people like them so much. So if I want four jewel pods, you know, let's go and see how much the card will be. Uh, it's $22. Jesus. You know? Well, fifteen, sixteen dollars for the pods themselves, and then there's like a seven dollars shipping charge. But like, that's ridiculous. How do college like, kids afford these things? I don't know. They probably, you know, do what college kids do. They go to the borrow, frat house and bum a few off. <laughs> yeah, put on their student loans. Mm. I don't know. Like, they they're expensive. Like, you know, the same thing with like cigarettes. Like, you'd think, you know, I guess it's cheaper than buying, you know. A, multiple packs of cigarettes because these days they jack up the the price of those so much but like you know it's still not that much of a cost saving so i I guess like if you're really into you know you definitely don't want to be buying jewels or really any cartridge based system because that's how they'll get you like they don't make those refillable like i mean there's probably ways you can do it but you have to like i don't know it's it's like it's like replacing the battery for your ipod you know it's not very easy yeah yeah, it's funny. When I was walking to the Turning Point meeting on Thursday to set up, you know, I was the first person in the room, and I guess it's after a class or something because they had, like, the clicker thing out on the podium. And I see these two, like, black things on the 
on the podium and I'm looking at them. I'm like, are those supposed to be some sort of like USB like drives with like a huge cover or something? Like what what is this? Is it like a clicker? Because it started looking like a clicker because I saw like a little light on it. And then I saw the word jewel on there. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> get these out of here. I don't have that turning point meetings. I got classy the place up. So I, I took those out. Uh, those, know, just, just are probably the classier vaporizers, I'd say. I mean, it's yes. definitely like when you look at it, it's pretty cleanly designed and all that. But I'm looking, I'm like, why? Is, what's this doing on the podium? Do like a teacher or a professor take it from the students or they leave it there themselves? I mean, there were two of them. I don't know, like if I, if I, if like Apple made a vaporizer, like it'd have to be it's overpriced, it's expensive, it's not as good, and uh, people like it, so. Yeah. yeah. Basically, Apple in a nutshell, it's, looks nice and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, other thing, news on our end, I've officially bought my uh, ticket to CPAC, so I'm going to CPAC. Uh, got a discount rate for that, and uh, I'm gonna be sleeping in a bunk bed, technically. Uh, but I'll deal with it for four nights because it's going to be pretty lit and pretty hey, that's cool. that's better than what I had when I was in the college Republicans. They made us, like, sleep four guys to, like, a room that's supposed to hold two. So we had, like, two guys in each bed. Oh, how was that? Actually, we had more because people were sleeping on the floor, too. Like, I don't know. It was, it was um, I don't know. Did, did the hotel live up to its name? No. Absolutely not. Like you think you get like all sorts of like cool stuff. Well, I'm in mean, for the gay thing, yeah. But like, <laughs> you took a while to get that. <laughs> yeah, I forgot what hotel it was that. But uh, no, everything else in there, you know, was pretty. Uh, you think it'd be like super great, but like the outlets and the walls, they were like I almost felt like it, it wasn't very. It was done right. Like they probably should have had an electrician there. I don't what was know, wrong with like, the outlets? Anything you had to go and pay out the wazoo for it. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. That's why I was thinking of you going through CRs or LI. I end up going through LI. Cause LI guaranteed you the housing, you know, if you got the ticket now. And the ticket was always $75. That's less than the student ticket just to go CPAC. And it's 75 bucks, including CPAC and the hotel or bunk. So that's a steal. I mean, that's the best, literally the best deal. Uh, but if you were to go through CRs here, well, let's just say I, there's no guarantee you're going at the rate I'm hearing things are happening. So I just made the decision, put the money down and I might have a companion going with me. So we'll see how it goes because it might be fun. might not be there. What might be interesting. I'm not gonna, lie, I'm gonna check it out. I'll be careful. So I don't get caught in some stupid, uh, association I don't intend, but Nick Fuentes is having his America First pack, which is going to be on one night to see pack. So it's going to be the night for freedom with Mike Cernovich. I'm definitely going to night for freedom with Mike Cernovich. That'd be really cool. But the America First pack, I might look at it from a distance and see what's going on. But I saw on Milo's telegram, he uh, said, I want to go to AF pack, but I think I'm banned for being too famous and therefore distracting because he got an email from them that said, Milo, while we appreciate your interest in attending the Groiper Leadership Summit, we've decided that it would be best if you didn't attend. You're a far larger name than any of the speakers, so you'd like likely steal the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, just imagine having to write that in an email to somebody 
who you didn't even invite. A big name, you didn't even have to invite them. They're literally willing to come to the event. And they're saying, no, nah, sorry, you're too big for us, pal. So you'd likely steal the show. I hope you can understand our concerns best, which is wishes GOS staff. Now, wait, yeah. Wait, hold on. That, that That's uh, Nick Fuentes' group, right? Yes. That's what a, what a D move. Mm-hmm. What oh, a D funny. move. You're talking about, uh, wasn't, wasn't Nick Fuentes on Milo's show? Yeah. Milo invited him he on. He was on the other way. Yeah. Invited him on and everything. And and tried to like reason with them and agree with like like it was I thought it was a good conversation. I thought so too, considering like you know Nick Fuentes has some wacky views that Milo even brought up, but he still tried to see his side, tried to agree on you know find some common ground. But this is the problem with this group. I've noticed this way, on a I personal really, level. By the way, I really like Milo. Milo's interview. I think Milo does, is a really good interviewer. Yeah. By the way. He always gets, anyway, he's, it's kind of like with Howard Stern where he can always kind of get the best out of his guests. You know, I think that's the real art of interviewing is when you can do that. And I don't, know, I don't really care for Howard Stern after that uh, Hillary Clinton interview. No, Howard Stern that. has gone downhill recently. Like, don't get yeah. me wrong, but he still can be an amazing interviewer. Like he still can be really good. Um, like when he had Paul McCartney on, it was really good. When he's had some people back on his heyday, he was really good. But yeah, the Hillary Clinton stuff just shows how low things have gotten, unfortunately. But I, Nick and his group, their biggest problem is their stupid purity test, where if you don't check every single box, you could just partially check the last box. But nope, you're you're done. Chop your head off and leave you on the curb. They do They're just this as bad as the liberals. Yeah, they are. They're bad as the extreme left because now you're not going to have allies. And how are you going to grow your movement? You can't grow a movement with these insane standards that nobody can meet except a few people, and they probably don't even meet them. It's you. This is like this is why I've given up on trying to reason with these people or tried to you know unify the right or anything because you're just not going to get anywhere with these people. Yeah, that's kind of what you have to do. You just kind of cut off those loose ends and do your own thing because, you know, it's the best way to do it. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's... that's Wait, so is this at it. CPAC or this, like, nearby? It's it's kind of like they did with the Groyper Leadership Summit um, during the Turning Point Conference, which it'll be during the time of it, but it's going to be, like, in a separate building, a separate location that's nearby. So I don't know specifically where it's going to be. I don't even know if they've announced the details of it but i mean still who thinks it's like you can't bring somebody that's you know too famous that's one of the dumbest things i've ever heard imagine if trump wants to come to your conference you're like oh, i'm sorry trump i mean you're too famous you bring too many people i think the reason they disinvited milo pretty much it's not because i don't think i know these people hate milo these growing floors i know it because they've told me that I think they hate his followers more. I think they're worried about his people coming and like, you know, degrading the purity of the whole thing. I think that's really where this move is coming from. Am I wrong? See, that's what so that's what you guys should do is like you should grape the grapers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say the college Dems are having a debate, quote unquote, where they all agree with each other on Monday. And I do. I've learned that there's going to be a Q&A. 30-minute Q&A. And it would be a shame. It would just be a shame if 
a bunch of turning point people come and ask questions and a bunch of CRs come and ask questions. It'd be a shame. CRs, they'd probably agree with most of the things that they say. What? Is anything like when I was at Penn State? Well, I will say some of them are definitely way too left-leaning for my taste, but I think some of them have some hope, and some of them are pretty aligned with what I believe. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how they handle this one because the college Democrats are not particularly keen on having debates or discussions with people they legitimately disagree with on big issues. So I'm going to see what happens. I'm definitely asking a question. Well, see, what you should go and do is you should start, like, a poster campaign just, like, calling out the college Dems. Yeah. For, like, not debating you guys. Yeah, I've I'm, I've contemplated a few things. And our big event we're having coming up, I mean, Phil and I were talking about this last night. I think we're going to be pushing back the announcement date a bit. I think when I was looking at the calendar, I don't know what my mind was thinking of doing it on President's Day, announcing our big speaking event with this new club that I've started called Uncensored America. Because if we announce on that, we have three weeks, spring break, and then four, almost five weeks after that till the big day. I think that's a bit too much. <laughs> I think it might be too early. Well, if anybody wants to call in and give me some advice on this, I'd, I'd appreciate it. But I think there is a case of being too early on something. Yeah, you know, it's better to... Wait a little while to to do that sort of thing, you know? And St. Patrick's Day might be a nice day to do it, you know? No, people, like, at State Patties Day, people are going to, like, not be paying attention to that at mm. all. Like, no matter what true. you do. Like, that's just, at least when I was here, you know, it's like a night of debauchery. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying during the night, but during the lunch rush. Or would people not be paying attention much then? What if it's the day after St. Patrick's Day? Or the day people before. People are hung over. Or or no, the maybe maybe two days after because you got St. Patrick's no, Day. No, it's a Thursday. You got St. Patrick's Day. Everybody's getting trashed, and then the day after that, everybody's recovering, and then the day after that would be like, you know, the problem with that is it's on a Thursday, and that's too late in the week. Yeah. That's the thing, people. If you know, you'll learn this in journalism. Always things, big stories always get dropped on Mondays, Tuesdays, or worst case Wednesday. Yeah, you want to just do the Monday afterwards. Yeah, mm, lose some advertising yeah. time, but maybe. Oh no! I, I mean, we could we could make a go of it, and it would be and it would be a stinging effect too, right? Because everybody's all relaxed and they're all they're all happy from the you know. St. Patrick's Day weekend and the Monday hits and then all of a sudden they get this news and it's hits them like a bag of bricks. Mm. I would give us then three, almost four weeks to advertise, which is not a lot of time. It's it, See, that's the thing is tricky because the last event we had three weeks to advertise and do all that stuff and unfortunately that was like too little. You know, that was just enough to get what we got, but it's that's too close for comfort. You need like five weeks, really. Well, you know, you'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. we can talk more about us after the show, but, you know, just throwing that out there because it's... Yes. That's the thing that's tricky about event playing is like you got... The announcement itself is sort of an event in its of itself, you know? Because you got to build the hype, you got to plan things right. It's, it's tricky business. 
I, I, I mean, there is a such thing as too early, but sometimes there isn't because sometimes when something is so big and so, you know, like earth shattering, you'll people aren't going to forget it. I remember when they announced David Hogg coming here. I think that was announced before Christmas break or during, which is a weird time. And they still got 500 people packed in there. And I think they had to turn away some people, too. So, you know, we'll think about it after the show. But um, did you guys see Don Lemon on CNN and this awful clip where his quote-unquote Republican colleague is mocking Trump supporters by using a Southern accent and acting like they're illiterate and don't understand math and that they're stupid, basically. And Don Lemon's laughing the whole time. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fine to go make fun of people, you know, who might have actual problems. It, you know, if there's someone who is, like, making fun of, like, an inner city, like, you know, especially someone, you know, who might not be white, and someone did that, you know, that would be really racist. But it's okay to go make fun of Trump supporters because that's CNN. Yeah. It's just, I mean, some people are like, well, yo, you Trump supporters are getting triggered over this. I'm not triggered. I'm just you. You can't you can't let these people get away with this this amount of disrespect for the average American voter, the average American working class guy that's just working his butt off, is smart, intelligent, and you're just degrading them. I mean, it's that's the thing. Like Trump supporters, when they mock people that aren't politicians, they're mocking like these SJWs or these crazy people calling for bans on hate speech, who you know think that. You know, and believe in body positivity that you're beautiful if you're super fat, or they believe in socialism and a bunch of crazy stuff. But these people are mocking like average Americans, and it's pretty degrading. Like they're 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 mocking a majority of the country. Well, you know, Sony used to go and just like make compilations of these things. They already made an ad of this one. RNC already made an ad. Well, see, you guys should go and, like, you know, Turning Point, maybe your new club, just, like, start compiling this stuff yeah, yourselves. And then, like, release, like, make a sort of, sort of compilation to play at your meetings. Be like, hey, this is what we're fighting against. This mm-hmm. sort of elitism over here. Because I've noticed that a lot with, like, especially, like, Democrats and, like, people, like, especially ones who go to, like, elitist schools. They think they're so much better than everyone else. Like, hey, if you didn't go to, like, Georgetown, you know, or an, or an Ivy League school or whatever, you're kind of, like you know, in a separate class. Yeah. And they say that they're like, so, you know, hey, I love poor people. I love people of different colors. But, you know, if you feel like not as smart as them or like, you know, like may not, not as smart as them, but like, you know, just aren't into the sort of stuff that they're into. Like if you don't know all these like super obscure, like academia definitions, they'll just get really like, they just hate you. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen this before at Penn State, like, you know, certain clubs over here <laughs> yeah and they always have their own language like oh you can't say that you're tone policing me you know it's just so stupid or you know that that's tone deaf or you know all these other ones like that's a what about ism they, they love their own little terms that they come up with to try and shut you down yeah they just make up words and you know it, it is a form of elitism and it just like they won't do it to themselves. Like if you're if you vote Democrat, you know they're not any any like uphold the leftist values. They're not going to say anything. But as soon as you have a difference of opinion with them, they'll just like flip their lid. Yeah, they'll find every way to go and call you an idiot. 
And mm-hmm. that I, I find particularly, you know, an issue. Yeah. I don't know. People have just gotten so, like, hostile lately. Mm-hmm. And it's really from one side. I, I don't see this coming from the right nearly as much as I see it coming from the left. And people want to go and be like, oh, we want to go and bridge the gap between the two sides. Like, dude, look at your side. Your side's the one that's doing it in 9 out of 10 cases. Yeah, and that's like with, I think I told, I think I've told this story on the air. When we had our censored event with Sargon and Hunter, I got a call from the college Dems president, and she's all like saying, oh, you know, I just want to talk as humans because I don't want there to be any violence. Uh, can you just make sure your side is uh, calm and collected and nonviolent at the event? And I'm thinking, I was nice to her. I wanted to stay nice to her, but I'm thinking, look, why are you worried about our side? It's your side. It's always bringing the violence and the intense resistance. Your your side has Antifa. And people are going to be like, oh, but you guys have the alt-right. Well, you know, kind of. But I don't even consider so those people really right-leaning in many ways. And those people are those a people, very what, small... What have they done over at Penn State? The most they've done at Penn State is like make a few posters. Yeah. Like that's literally all they do. Yeah, they really haven't done anything. And with our upcoming event, man, I've been talking to some people in, um, uh, in, at the university and the you know, workouts event. They're like, yeah, we're going to see protests like we've never seen before. And I'm thinking, geez, I wonder why. It's because, I mean, it's not, you know, the other side is so nice. They're so tolerant. They love us. I mean, they're not going to do anything wrong. Well, we'll see. I don't want anything bad to happen, but... I'm just saying people need to prepare for the worst because these people are insane, absolutely insane. You know, the things they, you know, protest, the things they say about who they're protesting, it's just awful. But uh, anything interesting going on in you guys' life at all? Um, Not really. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I think, um, I think one of the things we forgot to, cover is the passing of kobe bryant oh yeah that, that's got that's got that's a pretty big that's a pretty big one yeah. uh that's it that's it it doesn't it didn't just hit it didn't just hit the united states it hit all over the world like i'm a i'm a european soccer fan and they were doing moments of silence in europe like for the guy and I mean, it's like he—he's had a lot. I mean, and it, he wasn't just a—he wasn't really just a great basketball player, but he was like he won an Oscar. He won like he was doing stuff outside yeah. of basketball too. Um, there's a lot. I mean, uh, well, because that news broke on I believe Sunday of last week, hence why we didn't talk about it on the last show. But yeah. it was. I saw and I I learned about on Discord when you Phil posted saying Kobe Bryant just died helicopter crash and I'm like what no way like it just was just so out of left field it was and tragic too to learn that his daughter his 13 year old daughter was on there yeah. too I mean God yeah. this is awful to think about yeah um and it and it was like. And, and then see, hearing the story, like hearing a lot of what he was trying to do for for his daughter too, like he was trying to mold her to become another basketball player. Yeah. Um, yeah that that 
that that that got to me a little bit. Um, you see that what's happening too is like a lot of lefty people start protesting that. Like there's yeah, now, like do you know what really upset me? Okay, so the when so when all that when everybody was when the news was still fresh and everybody was still kind of reeling in, um, some uh, some insane person from the Washington Post. Oh yeah, uh, wrote about his past, right? Because he like. Like while while he was still while he was still playing, he had a he had an affair or whatever, and and they tried to like basically damage his name while you know while they were while his funeral was still being planned. It's like, do you guys have no shame at all? It's and of course you got flack for it and deservedly so, but I mean. It's it's one of those things you always are like, look, look, let let the let the bad stuff let the bad stuff rest, you know. The guy's gone. It's like I I was really unnerved by that. I I know. Uh, it's like I see this stuff and it's like, come on. You know, it's like after a shooting when people like immediately start politicizing it or immediately you know, like blaming this person or saying nasty things about the victims. Like I forget which one it was where they were saying, Oh, this person that was killed was an alt right, you know, Nazi or something. And it's like, guys, just, I mean, I don't know if we should honestly be politicizing stuff that quickly, but at the same time, it's like people need to just, they, they don't, I think there's a weird, we were talking about this last night with ESPN kind of milking the cow of Kobe Bryant's death. Like, they keep talking about it. They have these specials, documentaries, yeah, yeah. It's almost like people have no issue with using the death of somebody to gain, get something for themselves, which is pretty messed up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really care too much for sports, but, like, I don't know. I don't think it's right for people to be doing what they're doing about this guy after he died. Like, yeah. come on. You know, the dude hasn't even been dead for, like, you know, a week and you're like saying all these horrible things. And like, I have a friend who like, you know, they post like this nonchalant, like sort of meme, like not really attacking him, not really, you know, not attacking him. And like people who thought like the feminists were going after her, like, Oh, you know, you shouldn't say anything about this guy. He's a rapist. And I'm just like, you know, that's ridiculous. And saying this about a dead person, like he can't even defend himself. Yeah, exactly. It's like a Michael Jackson, you know, all these accusations oh, things come out after he dies. And nah, you, there's there was stuff going on when he like there was a little there bit was stuff, things. yeah. There was stuff when he was alive, but you didn't hear like, a there's lot like, of stuff. That's when you know. When 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 all these stuff happens when they die, know that the whole thing that that most of it is BS because you can't sue somebody for libel if they're dead, like you can't yeah. do it. That's like what, that's like one of those, uh, uh, exceptions to freedom of speech. Like the, the whole life suing, suing somebody with libel or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, I like, even when the finding Neverland happened or whatever, or yeah. leaving, escaping Neverland, whatever, whatever it was that documentary, I was watching that whole thing. I'm like, these dudes are lying. These dudes are lying. I'm sorry. Um, and I think the thing too of Michael Jackson, I don't know a lot about it, 
but I when I've heard I've heard both sides generally like the one saying like he abused you know young people uh, and children and the other saying that well Michael's um, upbringing kind of made him almost childlike and wish he had a childhood or something so it could be a weird sort of um, what you call like a effect of his childhood and I'm not condoning the behavior of Michael Jackson guy. I don't know all the details, but that's what I've been hearing on both sides. I don't have a stance on it, but that's what I have heard is that he, he more or less just wanted to sort of relive a childhood. He didn't really, you know, groom or abuse children is what one side's saying, but I don't know. So that, again, that's just what I've heard. Yes, it's a uh, very interesting sort of case with all this stuff. I don't know. I just don't know, like, I don't know, maybe I'm callous or something, but like this celebrity worship that we have over here, I just find that a little bit interesting. You know, we got like soldiers and stuff dying every day. No one gives a crap about them, but like as soon as someone, yeah, you know, dies over, you know, who's like a sports player, people give a crap. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't, I, I, I'm always like, I, and I feel, I feel the same way. It's just that this, this particular one had a story behind it that kind of got to me like and and that that probably got to me more than anything it's like oh a celebrity's dead uh well you know i didn't really know him so i i'm not gonna comment one way or the other but like i seeing that seeing his story about how you know about how he's doing so much for his family and it was like oh yeah that got to me that 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 got to me I know it got to me a little bit too because I'd been thinking about a few things at that time and going through some sort of um, you know just thinking about life in general. So like when I saw that, I was just like, oh, really twisted things. And it's one of those instances where you know it was not his fault really. It sounds like it sounds like it was all really just a pilot made a bad decision to fly in bad weather, foggy weather, and that's just the worst, you know, especially at his age. I actually was looking at our YouTube studio because we do this in association with Versa Media for all those who don't know. Somebody actually left a comment that was um, kind of something we already fixed, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, our quarter, I can't pronounce their handle here, but they said, you're interviewing a tech person, that was Trent Lipinski, and your audio sounds like it was recorded with a potato. <laughs> well, that was the time we had him on through the phone because that's, I think the way he wanted to do it at the time. So unfortunately it did sound bad, but that's what we were working with what we had. Your channel ha has some high profile guests and the hosting skills are top quality, but please check audio before recording. So we got a compliment in there. Somebody said we have a high quality hosting. So good job guys. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the one thing I've noticed over here. It's like, I don't know, I'm thankful that Penn State gives us the ability to go and like call yeah. and stuff, but I don't know. Some of these equipment over here probably should be, especially like the the voice line, because I mean, you know, I, I built. I don't know if you have any statistics on this stuff, but I imagine you know most people probably if they have guests, they're gonna be on the phone. Yeah, and if that's the case, that's kind of. Mm. That's what yeah. like Farage's show on LBC in Britain. Like he always has people on the phone calling. And I love the Discord because it sound, it's – I think Discord is the best quality of anything. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, that's a multi-set process for people to join it. You know, They have to create an account, join the server, and then pop in the channel, which is nice 
once you get people on there, but unfortunately, not so nice if you just want people randomly calling in. That's why they have the phone number. So it'd be cool if that could sound better, but unfortunately, nope. Especially if like they're older, they might not have access to some of these things. You yeah. Know? Speaking of, you know somebody that we might be getting on the show soon. Yeah, I, I talked to a few different people. I, I'm going to see, you know, there was, uh, who was that? The, uh, there was some guy, I forget what his name, Joshua Prince. He's a uh, lawyer over here who uh, recently put a stay in the, um, in the process where they were trying to go and like regulate 80% receivers in PA as uh, firearms. Mm-hmm. Which, if you don't know, an 80% receiver is basically like a block of metal. People tend to go and, like, drill holes and whatnot, and they can turn into a firearm, but in and of itself, it's just a piece of metal. Yeah. And they want to, like, Governor Wolf has been trying to go and regulate those differently. But, you know, if you were to do that, that would open up the, you know, it would open up a Pandora's box, basically. Because there's already so much that, like, so many of these have been made. You can buy these in other states without time to go through any sort of background checks or anything. So it's kind of, you know, really vague what he's trying to go and do with that. And has a lot of potential effects, like, sort of tertiary. So he's actually done, like, a lot of work, too. Like, I think he did something so that people who had, uh, what was it, like, mental health, like, when they were uh, committed... Like, because for the longest time, if you're committed, you're screwed basically for the rest of your life. You can Mm -hmm. never own a gun. There is no way to appeal that. I believe he got that overturned. So now it's like, you know, after 15 years, you can get it, you know, looked at again, which is a long time, but, you know, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Which that's a whole sort of thing, too, because like you'd be surprised what people can get uh, involuntarily committed for. Like, if you're at a hospital or something, it's not even mental health related, but, like, if the doctor wants you to stay there and you don't want to stay there, they can have you 302. And if, you know, even if you do want to stay there, but then the doctor feels that, you know, you should kind of be forced to stay there, there's, like, another sort of thing. It's, like, a 301 or something. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, at least in PA, there's no, for the longest time, there's no way to appeal that. And there was uh, really nothing you could really do about that situation. You'd lose your gun rights, and um, it was pretty pretty terrible. It still is, but, you know, yeah, one of those sort of low-known things that happen to people. And there was another guy, too, I was talking to. Um, he was a uh, soloist scout in uh, Rhodesia back when that was a thing. He, um, he has some interesting stories. They're basically, I don't know, it was like sort of the predecessor, I guess, like they did a lot of uh, what you consider like special operations, like going behind enemy lines, um, you know, kind of like almost like SEAL sort of stuff, but like, you know, it wasn't America, so it wasn't the SEALs. But like one of the very first uh, sort of special forces programs that had a great deal of success, like in kind of using guerrilla tactics against uh, guerrilla fighters. So there's, you know, I, I was talking to him. Uh, I'll see about him. Like, he he's older, so that he'd be probably more of an issue with uh, the technology than anything else. Yeah, yeah, we can work something out. We'll figure it out. But thanks for the update on that. One thing I don't I don't think I mentioned it on this show, but our Twitter account for the show Versa Media, you know, where we upload our content on YouTube and whatnot, we have been banned by Nick Fuentes. I don't know if I mentioned this, but Nick is a is pretty trigger happy with his bands from what I've heard. 
And I asked him once about this Catboy video that came out because there's not a lot of context to it. People were calling it a date, which I, I'm not going to lie, I really don't think it was. I think it was just two guys hanging out, but still a bit odd, So especially for a guy that hates all this sort of stuff. And so I messaged him on Twitter. I added him uh, in our tweet asking just politely and respectfully, I was like, could you explain like the context behind this? You know, I wasn't trying to be you know, rude or like having a gotcha moment or anything like that. I was just curious because he wasn't answering it. And I just thought, well, let's help clear the air and let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And he just banned us. Uh, you know, so you can see that even some of these people on the right are, you know, not too keen on answering certain questions. And it's rather ironic coming from him who got all mad at Charlie Kirk for not answering certain tough questions. But when you ask him a tough question, he's got an issue with it. So I'm kind of wondering if there's extra context, like why he would do that to you. Cause that just seems really shady. It is. And if Maybe I there do was something going on for all I know, I, I don't, I'm not gonna pretend that I have all the answers, but you know, to go and ban someone for that, you know, he's, he's definitely a hypocrite at the very least. Well, if I see him down at CPAC, um, and we're going to try and do a remote broadcast here, which would be really cool. I'll ask him. I'll be like, Hey, why'd you, why'd you block us for that? Why'd you ban me, bro? You know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd, I'd add that, like, use as a badge of honor that you've been blocked by this guy, <laughs> blocked by a fraud. Yeah, someone who seems to be a fraud, someone who claims to, you know, be against all this, like, you know, what he considered a generate activity, but yeah. he actually, you know, goes on date, whatever you want to call it, and refuses to answer questions about, like, come on, dude, you should, like, you know, even if it was a troll, you should at least go and like say something along the lines like hey you know this was a troll like haha you got me or, or something you yeah know, don't just like ban people that's something that you know the left likes to do is just like black you know blacklist people yeah yeah and that's what'll be interesting to see at cpac is i'm wondering like how much of the attendance at cpac is going to be the older establishment conservatives versus the newer pro-trump conservatives it'll I hope it's more of, you know, the new Trumpian right, but we'll see. And we'll see how this, uh, you know, America First pack happens, this AF pack. And maybe some action will go down. We'll see. But I'm I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> kind of excited for once about CPAC. Normally I don't because it's kind of just a bunch of old boomers, you know, talking about Ronald Reagan this, Ronald Reagan that. It's like, guys, come on. That was like these final but that was like 20 you know 30 years ago like let's update ourselves on what's going on so i think it'll be interesting and the knife for freedom will be interesting so we'll see we'll see what people think of our new organization and uh we'll definitely report in from that if we can report live that'd be really cool you know doing Actually, a live stream happen to Mitt Romney from yeah please t yeah I, I heard people really going after him I, i've always hated Mitt Romney like the guy is terrible i mean 2012 was the only time i was like yeah let's vote for me he's baron obama and since then he's just been a total cuck with the c and a fraud and a fake conservative and a total just backstabber to trump and he's everything wrong with the party right there what, what happened recently can you give me a tldr yeah, he got uh, kicked out of CPAC. Like, uh, his invitation what? was rescinded. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually surprised because when, when I went down to CPAC, like, they would have ate him up. They would have yeah. loved him. I don't think he went down when I was there. Maybe he did. You know, I don't. 
like useless people. But yeah, he actually got, you know, his invitation removed by a tweet. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing those headlines right now. Base CPAC, man, what's going on? Is this a sea change? I, I didn't expect I, that. I mean, they, they, they disinvited Milo, which was total crap and I think was ridiculous. But <laughs> I, I don't mind this one. <laughs> yeah, no, when I went there, like, you know, like they were talking about like Trump was supposed to go down the year I went, but like, I don't know, you yeah. can see the people when there it was like mostly yeah. sort of college Republicans, sort of establishment people, but like, yeah, now it seems like maybe the ties have turned. Maybe those people have gotten out of power. Maybe they've, you know, just shut up about. Well, their... didn't he vote for more witnesses? I think because that's what people were initially ang angry about for him voting for more witnesses in the impeachment. I think that's what did him in. Yeah, yeah, that's that was what caused it. Wow. Like, what, was, what was all that about? So didn't they already have like 17 witnesses or something? Yeah, they already had so many witnesses. And look, we all know that the impeachment trial was just, you know, it was a total scam to begin with. It was another witch hunt that was just trying to take down Trump through some distraction to cover up his accomplishments and help the Democrats, or they think helped them in 2020. But this is why I get promised. The Republicans... God, you guys don't know how to unify, except during 2016, even though there were a lot of defectors and cucks and establishment people, you know, there was a, it was probably the most unified other than Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh was the most unified I'd ever seen the GOP, the right, the Republican party, whatever you want to call this group. I had never seen the right more unified than in, during Kavanaugh. It was beautiful. And guess what happened? We won. We got what we wanted. We stopped them and we won. But in 2016, you had the Trump, you know, revolution, which pissed some people off, but it pissed the right people off, the people that we don't need. You know, the John McCain's, the Mitt Romney's, the Ben Shapiro's, the Glenn Beck's. You pissed them off, but some of them even came over like Glenn Beck, you know, saw the light eventually, and that's good. I'll take it. But, you know, uh, Mitt Romney certainly didn't see the light, and he's just been an annoyance, a thorn aside. So I hope they primary him. They might. I mean, this is a big mistake for him to call for more witnesses. I mean, he he might be gone after this, and if he is, that would be beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. Like the only reason I think he's winning in Utah is because Mormon. Like, yeah, that is the only reason. Like he, if you know that that's like the only state where you could really get someone like him. Yeah. And, you know, say what you want, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of, uh, you know, that sort of faith. You know, it's just a strange religion. Like, I don't know. Well, we got like, a I mean, caller. They're, they're conservative by and large, so I'll give them that. But, like, they got some really strange sort of habits. But, like, you know, they don't allow, they don't even allow you to drink coffee over there. All right. So we're joined by a caller right here. Caller, uh, what's your question for us? Bernie Sanders saying, and uh, what your thoughts on that was. Uh, the thoughts on the Bernie Sanders and like semi endorsement from Joe Rogan, I'd say, I think it's very telling that the left is, you know, as kind of like we were talking about with the trad right, the you know these Fuentes types having these purity tests. The left did the same thing with Joe Rogan. They held him to this insane level, this insane purity test, where now. You know, because Joe Rogan is not a far lefty. He's kind of a libertarian-esque left winger. More of a centrist, yeah. Yeah, he's more of a centrist. So when he doesn't, you know, come up to their caliber, they're going to cast him aside. And I think also what's interesting is how he's aligned himself with Bernie Sanders, who's against the left-wing establishment. So you're seeing how, again, that infighting in the left, like escalating. And they know Joe Rogan's very influential. He's got the biggest podcast in the world. So 
when you see that somebody of that caliber just give a, a, a semi-endorsement, they, they're scared because they're afraid Bernie's going to gain some traction and could overcome the rigging that the DNC has put in place. I mean, do you think the DNC will stop Bernie still despite all these factors? I think they definitely want to. Yeah, me too. I think they're going to probably in the end they're going to succeed in stopping him like last time. Uh, but, you know, I think Joe Rogan, though, is he's always had an interesting place. And I think he always has to play things a little um, more recently. He's playing things somewhat a little safer. But at the same time, I think he's, you know, they're looking for a way to take him out, I think. I think a lot of people know his influence and they're looking for a way to take him out. And they kind of tried with this, but I think it's just going to embolden him and Bernie supporters more. Yes, I personally yeah. am voting for Bernie Sanders because Joe Rogan endorsed him. Well, yeah, something else? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not a big Bernie fan, but, you know, I feel like he believe like, I don't know, like he just seems like he's, of all the leftists out there, are than like maybe uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I, I don't think he's the same sort of swamp creature. I think he's dead wrong on a lot of things, but, you know, compared to Hillary or biden or bloomberg I, I think he wouldn't be quite as bad as some of the other ones but i don't know they've been treating him so bad like honestly i don't even know why he sticks around because like did you see what what's going on with the endorsements like what the what's going on with those super delegates again you know with like bloomberg and stuff they're trying they're really trying to rig it yeah yeah, I, I, I've been looking at that a little bit too, and it's really interesting. Oh, I think our caller left us. <laughs> That's what that bing was. But yeah, uh, they're definitely trying to rig it against Bernie again. And I think Bloomberg is going to be a spoiler candidate, but I don't know who votes he's going to spoil or split. Uh, Jacob Wool was talking about that earlier. So interesting how that plays out. I, I think it would only help Biden maybe, but I don't know. Or maybe, yeah, yeah I think, I, eh, yeah. I don't know. It's going to divide the party. That's what's going to happen. And, you know, that's why I'm, I hope that they, like, rig it against Bernie again because it will really upset people. Yeah. Like, like completely. Because, you know, it is messed up what they did to him. You know, I mean, I don't really care they did or didn't do it because I'm not a Democrat. But, like, if I was a Democrat, I would be, you know, furious. Because, that you know, he rightfully should have gotten the nomination. You know, I, I think. I don't, I don't know how it all I don't think down. he like, technically... Oh, yeah, she was terrible. But I think in the end of it, I don't think Bernie... Uh, I don't, he didn't have more votes than Hillary, and I don't think he would have, you know... I mean, it's hard to say because uh, they, there were certain states where they had super delegates where Hillary basically got more delegates than Bernie, even though he got more votes in those states, which is total crap. And I, he may have gotten some more momentum if he'd won some of those states. I don't know, but... He's definitely, you know, representing a a half of the party that, and Hillary's the other half. So you have a definite split in the party, and I'm afraid the right's going to have a period of that too with this trad movement gaining traction. But I think, like uh, Jacob said earlier, which is that, you know, it's probably not going to become mainstream. It's probably, you know, like things like the is, you know, anti-Israel stuff. I don't think that's going to ever, you know, become a big thing in the party. I think the right's always going to remain pro-Israel. So uh, I think that the trad sort of movements mostly relegate on 
the Israel thing, I think, you know, that that's a whole other sort of issue over there. It is, but, but that's what a lot of these people believe. Like, these people are all kind of in the same category. These trad people, are, they all watch Fuentes, and they all believe in the anti-Israel stuff. So it's, it's the same fraction people. And look, there's also a lot of people on the right that don't like Fuentes that are, that have issues with Israel or anti-Israel. So I, you're, you, I, I do agree with you to some extent on that, but I think you know, these are all coming from different places and it's, uh, I don't, I don't know if the future of the right holds, but it could swing too far. I'm afraid of that. You know, I, I don't think that would be good in the end. Like Israel's a very, uh, you know, very touchy subject. Like let's be real over here. Like it is, there's a lot of, you know, pluses in my, like a lot of reasons why people like Israel, a lot of reasons why people don't like Israel. And I, I just don't, like, I honestly don't know why it's such a big, um, you know, sort of issue right now. Well, that's, I, I think the reason, um, before we wrap up, I'll say this real quick, but I think the main thing that, that, that this comes from is the fact that a lot of the big issues have already been taken care of, like the economy, uh, foreign policy, for the most part, and then this is real thing, like it's been pretty much taken care of. Like a lot of the big issues are off the table, even immigration. I know these, these people on the travel are going to say Trump isn't going hard enough, but that's kind of where that's coming from because he's done quite a few things that are helpful on immigration, you know. You know, like he did start the wall. I'll give him that. He is like starting it. Been, it's been built in a few places, but I feel that immigration, and I think most of the problems with that, it kind of goes down to uh, cuckold Republicans and just Democrats doing yeah. whatever in their power is to go and like hold up in the process. You know, it hasn't. That's been what they did, and that's why you had to do the emergency, um, uh, declare national emergency, and that's why it's been delayed a bit because of that. So the wall is going to get built; it's just going to take longer. Um, I know, and he's been deporting a lot of illegals and rounding up some MS-13. There's been the ICE raids, and the Supreme Court just upheld something about I think green cards or H-1B. Some like I, I'm sorry, I forget the details, but there are victories happening. It's just it's slow and incremental, like how our government works. But you know, a lot of big issues like are getting off the table. So other issues rise to the top, and that's why you're seeing this stuff come up. Because like Israel, for me though, still. Is a low priority to me. It's at the like near the bottom. I I don't care a lot about so, but these people do. And like Jacob said, I think some of it does come from some Jew hatred. Some of it is from the sort of you know well we fi- fi- you know we figured out these issues now what's next? So that's the current wow. state of the right. Well, like why why is America the one that has to figure out Israel's problems? You know. Yeah, I know. I think it's, well, we've become such a strong ally with them for various reasons, and we could go into why that is, but unfortunately, we're running out of time today, so I'm going to roll out with the Rolling Stones' Give Me Shelter in honor of Brexit. Got to play from a British group and a somewhat appropriate song, I guess. I don't know. I was trying to find something appropriate, but, you know, happy Brexit Day for all those who um, love the... Uh, 11 p.m. ringing in of the new independent bringing uh, Britain bringing Britain um, and I'm sorry for all those who are crying but as you can tell some of us here are pro-Brexit thank you for listening we'll be back next week with more real news <laughs>